Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. They were there. They're always there. They're on the wall. They take care of everything. And I'm convinced that we need to make sure that we treat them right. You know, the White House was working this morning. I was watching this. They were trying to tamp down suggestions that they believe that Ukraine is actually losing in this war against Russia because there was a report that was leaked, a U.S. intelligence assessment that said that the United States believes that Kyiv's counteroffensive is doomed to fail. I will say that over the course of the past two years, there have been a lot of analysis of how this war would unfold. And you've heard it from experts, you've heard it from military persons. And according to the National Security Advisor, one loser named Jake Sullivan, the reporters at Camp David, just before President Biden showed up there with this trilateral summit, with the people, well, his counterparts from Japan and South Korea. And so Jake Sullivan says, well, we've seen a lot of changes in the analysis. This is a dynamic battlefield and the conditions continue to change. Well, guess what? According to your favorite newspaper, Jake Sullivan, the Washington Post, or maybe he prefers the New York Times, they reported the conclusion and it was based on the intelligence assessment and statements from officials from your agency, just because they're speaking on the condition of anonymity when you don't like what they're saying, then you deny it. But when you like what they're saying, you guys just turn the other cheek. And what they said was that the Ukraine does not have the resources or the manpower to achieve the principal goals in the counteroffensive, which has already been going on for months. They cannot break through Russia's entrenched front lines, and they cannot cut off the land bridge to the Crimean Peninsula. So I don't want to see the men and women who serve in the United States military subjected to going into this war. Because the government of Ukraine and its surrogates didn't say a word about this report. Because... They're just waging this war basically on their own terms. And when they're losing, they're not going to admit it. The effect of the leak, though, is very, very familiar to the leaders, to to Zelensky and all of his, uh, you know, do boys over there, because there were a whole bunch of those leaks earlier this year when one of our Air Force analysts posted a couple of classified assessments on some social media site. But this latest group of assessments, which is based around Ukraine's likely inability to seize the city of Melitopol, 
And that's the city that sits right at the crossroads of all of the most important logistics hubs in the area. And it re represents a pretty sad story for the people who support Ukraine, especially for people who believe that the United States and its European partners have not done enough to give Kyiv what it needs to win. And all these unrealistic timelines, when are we going to see a battlefield success? The Pentagon has been pushing this narrative for a long time, according to uh, retired Army Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, who previously was the guy who oversaw all of our operations, all of the Army operations in Europe, beginning the year that Russia first invaded Ukraine. And Hodges, like others who have, you know, they have given support to the government, verbal support anyway, to Zelensky, but they've been criticizing the Biden administration for not giving them more sophisticated missile systems and not giving them warplanes like the F-16s um, that would give them a real edge. But then again, now they're doing that. And we still don't think they have a chance of winning, or at least that's what this report says. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy because we didn't give Ukraine what was needed to win, to liberate Crimea, or at least to make it untenable. You see, this all flows from the unwillingness of this administration, the inability of this administration to declare out loud for everyone to hear that our objective is for Ukraine to win or, or some kind of strategic objective. It's shameful. It really is. I don't believe the Ukraine is going to fail despite the shortcomings of our policy, but they're not going to win either. Are they just basically going to hold their own? That's a recipe for disaster in Europe, just is. The Ukraine is positioned for a couple of new breakthroughs against Russia's front lines, even though we've heard this terrible assessment from our intelligence. The Independent Institute for the Study of War, I'm looking at its latest analysis, and it's paying particular attention to a town called Robotine, which is on its way to... Melitopol, where the Ukrainian forces, they appear to be making some advances there, but not because of any great strength of their own, but because the, the Russian defenders there have been seriously degraded. Russian forces lack a lot of operational reserves, and they're forcing these Russian soldiers, rather, to hold settlements instead of moving backwards or withdrawing their forces so that the Ukrainian forces are going through degraded Russian units. You don't have to be a military expert to understand that if the Russian army falls apart or the military, the Russian military is falling apart, that may be the only hope that the Ukrainian forces have. This is a nightmare. It's been a nightmare for a long time. The fact that we're hoping that the Russian forces withdraw to maybe some defensive positions, even though we don't know that the Ukrainians can break through the positions they're holding now. So, of course, we look to, uh, you know, guys like Sullivan to tell us that we've done everything we can to support the Ukraine and to support the counteroffensive. We're not going to handicap the outcome. We already did handicap the outcome, which is... Nothing that I'm that concerned about. And trust me, it's not that I think we should, you know, leave Ukraine 
to be overtaken by Russia. I never believed that. But when we had our chance at the beginning, we didn't do it. And if we didn't do it then, then we can't do it now. It's just too late. So they are celebrating somehow in the Ukraine, though, because we just decided to clear the way for some of the European allies to transfer their own F-16s to Ukraine. Of course, the first thing that has to happen is somebody has to train the Ukrainian pilots. They're not finished training them yet. So even if you have the fighter jets, you can't use them for several months if you don't have pilots who can operate those jets. So it, it is a game changer, but it's not immediate. This is the kind of half-hearted and very weak military experts that we now have in command of the United States. And I love the men and women who serve, and it grieves me that they're forced to serve under the most lackluster leadership ever. A leadership in this country now, which is more concerned with how many you know drag queens we've turned into generals and admirals than how many really capable forces we have preparing themselves for what could inevitably be a World War III. Look at what's going on in China right now with uh, Taiwan. I mean, you can uh, pretend it's not happening, but you just be pretending because everything I'm reading shows me quite clearly that China is rehearsing their invasion of Taiwan with troops storming the sea defenses in these like really chilling looking war games while Beijing and Russia are staging joint naval exercises in the Pacific. So, so the People's Liberation Army, the part that oversees the Taiwan Strait, they're putting videos out there now. They're releasing videos which appear to show their troops practicing invading the coast of Taiwan. The PLA, uh, the People's Liberation Army's Eastern Theater Command, published the clip. So this isn't just some anonymous source. This is the real deal. And it's got this montage of soldiers storming beaches, driving tanks on dirt roads to a country-style Chinese ballad. Really, it's on WeChat. It was on WeChat all day yesterday. And even though the Post did not directly mention Taiwan, where would they be talking about? The Eastern Theater Command regularly conducts military drills in the Taiwan Strait. These are scary times. And to think of who's leading our country during these scary times ought to put the fear of God into you because the Chinese Communist Party sees Taiwan as a renegade province, right? They want to bring it back under Beijing's control, something that Xi Jinping said, I will do it however I got to do it, even if that means doing it by force. And Taiwan's elected uh, Democratic Progressive Party, they argue that they're going to stay self-governing. They're a democratic nation state. They're a capitalist society. They've got a lot of support of their own people and a lot of support of Western democracies. But guess what? If Russia and China launch warships into the Pacific Ocean, what do we do then? What is our military prepared to do then? Are we going to go or not? Because video that I just saw from the uh, TASS, the Russian State News Agency, showed nine large vessels 
sailing in a diamond formation as their crew members stood to attention on the deck. Okay, so the drills, they're practicing how to replenish fuel reserves by ships and how to transfer the cargo on the go. Oh my goodness. If you're not paying attention, it probably is a good thing for you to start paying attention because this stuff is getting real. Don't forget to download the 850 WFTL app. That way you can participate in all of our contests. You can hear all the podcasts, not just my No Restraint podcast, not just the podcasts of my daily shows, but the podcasts of all the other great shows here on 850 WFTL. So if you don't want to do that, if you're not into apps, just go to the website, 850wftl.com, and you can get the same information there. I'm going to take a quick break. I will be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. I may be the only person who is thinking about how crazy the world has gotten. And then I'll see somebody else is thinking the same thing, like Joe Rogan, who warns that China is not just, you know, doing things that are very anti-democratic when it comes to Taiwan, but they're infiltrating U.S. universities. They've been doing that for a long time, and apparently nobody is comfortable talking about it except Joe Rogan and maybe me. Um, If you want to get information from a country, probably the best thing you could do is infiltrate their universities. Because first and foremost, you'll get students who are studying abroad and you will be able to get information about just about every single government in the world. Not to mention, you could turn... American citizens against America. And that's something that I have seen way too much of. And I'm, I'm sure that most people uh, know exactly what I'm talking about. So when podcasters are starting to view America and China as being in conflict, then I know I'm not the only one. And I feel a lot better. Now, part of what I was looking at today was an article about how Well, first and foremost, so many of the things that I put out there on my show on Wednesday about these indictments and how crappy they are have been reiterated and echoed by a lot of pretty impressive people, which is always good. I like to be, I like the confirmation. I don't depend on it, but I like it. But I'm looking at some of these stories that are coming out of some of these analyses, and I love it, right? Stacey Abrams. Now, we all remember that when she lost the gubernatorial race in Georgia, she said over and over again, and actually, I think somebody did a compilation of her speaking. She probably said over a hundred times that she did not lose that election, and nobody dared to call her an election denier, right? But if President Trump is going to be prosecuted 
in a way to make challenging an election a crime, then okay, what about the Democrats who do that? It's hard to concede an election when you think you were cheated, isn't it, Stacey Abrams? Well, if you're a Democrat and you claim you were cheated, nothing happens. But if you're a Republican and you do it, well, then they put you in jail. Now, nobody can think that's fair. And nobody's going to sit here and pretend it's not what happened. You know, President Trump is being prosecuted in a way to make challenging an election a crime. That's kind of crazy. How about Adam Schiff? I mean, thank goodness he was stripped of his House Intelligence Committee seat in this Congress, but he was whining plenty before that. And he's been all over TV talking about, oh, it's not fair, and now he's running for Senate and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Stacey Abrams herself is under an investigation for how she spent funds that were intended for her get out the vote efforts, including some pretty big tax discrepancies at the very organization that she started. But of course, she's not gonna face charges for the blatant lies that were platformed by all the TV networks. And what about Adam Schiff? Does anybody remember that he would go on every network, ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, CNN, anywhere they would have him, and he would say that President Trump was a Kremlin stooge when he knew darn well that Trump wasn't. And Stacey Abrams continued to peddle that lie that she won the 2018 gubernatorial election in Georgia all the way up until she became the Democratic nominee for it. In that race, she lost so convincingly that she didn't even try to bother to say she was the actual winner. But neither of these individuals should be charged for their lies, their stupid lies, their pernicious lies, but their protected speech under our criminal statutes. Ah, unless your name is Donald Trump, and unless the Fulton County DA is Fonnie Willis, who could actually think she could make a case telling that Trump telling his you know, people following him on Twitter to watch an integrity hearing on some, you know, OANN or some station that somehow that's racketeering. So then every lie that Adam Schiff was hawking since Trump got elected, he should go to jail, according to Fonnie Willis, but he won't because the rules don't apply. And we now know that. And we're all pretty sick of it. Even if you don't, and I know so many of you don't want to see Donald Trump get this nomination, but come on. You're beginning to understand that these people are not playing fair. It's not equal justice. This is no longer about equal justice. This is now about gotcha. And gotcha goes both ways. And that's the part I don't think they've realized, how horrible this will end up being. Because look, if I'm Donald Trump and I get the nomination and then I'm Donald Trump and I win the election, which uh, could really happen, even if uh, all of their 
efforts, and I'm watching all these news agencies, boy, they can't wait. Could he be booked into the violent Atlanta jail? Thank God the person who cleared that up was Dan Bongino. If Donald Trump gets booked into this Atlanta jail, guess who goes in with him? Come on, you guys are smart. The Secret Service. That's right. So now you're going to jail a former president and a bunch of Secret Service agents, and you think the American people are going to look at that and think like, well, that's justice being served? No, no. What you're going to end up doing is forcing the Supreme Court to take this case. I'm convinced. You know, they're not sending my president into a jail where the walls are crumbling. They're not sending my president into a jail that's so overcrowded with overflowing toilets, no air conditioning. The sheriff of Fulton County called this Rice Street Jail a humanitarian crisis just last month when the Justice Department opened up an investigation after an inmate was found dead, covered in bedbugs and lice. The building is falling apart. And the sheriff tried to illustrate that to county leaders by collecting hundreds of weapons fashioned from chunks of the crumbling walls, loaded them into four wheelbarrows, and then had his deputies roll them into a public meeting last year. These are shanks, he told them. Right now, we have over 1,100 shanks. These are pieces of the building that have been ripped apart, fashioned into knives, fashioned into deadly weapons, and you think you're sending President Trump in there? I mean, come on, guys. This is so ridiculous. But they don't care. They really don't care. They just hope to cause enough damage to the brand, to the Trump brand, I, well, I'm not going to say what I was about to say, but enough people who have run scared to death away from Donald Trump for whatever their reasons are, even they are going to have to say, we do not want a medical exam, a fingerprinting, and posing for a mugshot. Book them and try to keep a low profile. Does anybody really believe that Donald Trump is going to be in a holding cell with a bunch of Secret Service agents? Come on, guys. So again, this is ridiculous. It makes them look terrible. Six inmates have died in that jail so far this year. Does anybody take this justice system in Georgia seriously? Because I don't. All right, let me take a break. I got a lot more to talk about. You stay right where you are as we continue down this path on this Friday as I sit in the once lovely city of San Francisco, now a pretty wretched place, but uh, I got the best grandsons in the world and they're here, so I got to come back. So the first president of the United States, George Washington, said that the be prepared for war is one of the most effective means of preserving peace. And just in case you missed this, hat tip to Real America's Voice, um, in case you're a liberal lunatic or a deranged academic or some unhinged celebrity or unhinged athlete or some war-loving rhino Republican, Hello, Liz Cheney. President Trump started zero wars. And they don't talk about that. A lot of Americans apparently missed that story 
because the slobbering media and the Marxist left in this country won't talk about that. All of the presidents in my lifetime started some kind of military engagement. I mean, Gerald Ford ordered airstrikes on Cambodia after Vietnam. Even Jimmy Carter had his uh, Iran rescue abortion botched uh, mission, which was pretty disgraceful, even by like uh, Clinton and Obama's lowly standards. President Trump not only avoided starting any wars, but he actually finished those that were started by other military industrial complex possessed presidents. But probably among his most extraordinary accomplishment, Donald Trump produced an unprecedented economic miracle. And they don't want to talk about that. Jobs for minorities, a middle class that was burgeoning across the board, an unprecedented $3.2 trillion tax cut that worked. He built over 450 miles of the wall in the face of evil congressional distractions like impeachments. He was trying to fulfill the central campaign promise that got him elected, which was build a wall. He negotiated trade uh, agreements, tariff agreements, NATO agreements, as only Donald Trump could. He had the uh, unparalleled Abraham Accords. No mediocre president could have done these things. And then, of course, energy independence. We don't want to talk about that, right? No. We're going to talk about climate change and global warming instead, instead of the amazing feat of America's energy independence. And we didn't even talk about how he strengthened the military. He is truly like an action figure superhero. But that's not what you hear from the media. And that's definitely not what you hear from the Biden voters. Are they going to say that Joe Biden had that kind of, uh, had those many accomplishments? Because if you really want to, you can measure him against the greatest presidents in history, from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln to Ronald Reagan. And very importantly, those guys respected our country, which these guys today don't. You got to think about the things that Donald Trump was able to do and then put aside your personality quirks or his personality quirks that upset you so much. They were, he was respected, and he respected leaders of other countries, even though they were pretty dreadful. But they weren't attacking the Ukraine, and they weren't attacking Taiwan, were they? And they weren't even shooting missiles at South Korea, were they? He kind of knows how to get along with leaders. And of course, rebuilding the U.S. military, only Ronald Reagan understood how you only have peace through strength since a, uh, George Washington. And that was how Donald Trump thought he could keep the peace, by being strong and by having a strong military. So they were scared. Now the military is woke. And the things that are taking place this is a direct result of that woke. And, and on top of that, we don't have any ammunition because our ammunition has been largely given away 
to the Ukraine and to other places, we literally don't have any ammunition. That makes us very vulnerable. So it really is important to tell the truth. At least I can tell the truth on this show. That if you want to know why uh, Xi Jinping had an experience with Donald Trump back in uh, 2019 in Osaka at the G20, it's because Donald Trump knew how to take the mask off of the Chinese dictator in a very accidental and kind of nobody paid much attention to it remark. He said with absolute historical accuracy that if the United States had not come to China's side aid during World War II, China would have been lost to Japan. And that's what's called playing hardball with the world's psychopaths and with our enemies. You negotiate America first agreements and you don't go to war. You show them you're strong, that you don't need to go to war, which is of course what Joe Biden has absolutely no clue how to do. And I don't care what the gutless media says, the globalist, sniggering, gutless media says, Donald Trump was not cozying up to the world's villains. He was just setting them up for the big fall. And Xi Jinping was so angry when he heard that. But guess what? At no moment did he launch an attack against Taiwan or even threaten such a thing, even do military exercises, because he knew you don't want an international incident with Donald Trump at the helm of the United States. And that's the bottom line. The president knows how to deal with these kinds of people. He knows how to deal with the media. That's what makes them so crazy. He knows how to deal with the Democrats. That's why they're so crazy. And look, we're not respected anymore. We don't have to argue about that. It's not my opinion. It's the truth. We're the laughingstock of the world. Look at the way we left Afghanistan. We could have left with dignity. We could have left with strength. That was the plan. You don't take the military out until everything else is done. And that's why there are still people, still Americans there right now. And we gave them $85 billion worth of equipment. Just think about that for a second. And more importantly, we lost 13 soldiers and many, many more were badly wounded. That is a disgrace. And that falls to the Biden administration. It never would have happened if Donald Trump had gotten his uh, election the second time. You got to be tough to deal with these lunatics in the world. These are sharp people. You may not like that. You may not want to admit it, but Xi Jinping's no dope. Vladimir Putin's no dope. Maybe Rocket Man's a little dopey, but they're pretty brilliant when it comes to tactics. So when you hear a president say something about President Xi Jinping that's not on the attack, but rather, okay, you know, he's, uh, he's the leader. We're going to deal with him. He's smart. He's brilliant. Whatever he said. Did anybody ever read Sun Tzu, the fourth century military strategist? Sun Tzu was the one who said, you must respect your enemy. And that's what Donald Trump showed. You respect them, but you don't underestimate them. 
If you can get along with people that have a lot of power, then you don't have to go to war. You go into war and you get people killed, especially nowadays, because they got weapons that will annihilate entire countries. You do not want war now because you could annihilate a large section of the world, maybe the whole world. So why is it that nobody talks about that side of Donald Trump? The man who started zero wars. I just, uh, you know, it just bothers me that I have to defend him because uh, his record stands. Can't deny it. And you can't make it go away. Strong trade agreements, NATO's reconstruction, making other countries pay their way. That's because he loves this country. Unfortunately, we have a president and administration right now who does not love this country. And guess what? They will start wars. You got to know how to not start a war, more importantly than how to start a war. Because we've started lots of wars we couldn't finish. Since World War II, we haven't had much success, have we? Probably a direct result of the kind of weak politicians that we keep electing. But uh, weak in politicians now seems to be the way uh, a lot of American people want, at least half of them want that, not me. Anyway, don't forget, coming up after me, Eric Erickson, and then we begin the countdown to the weekend with Joe Paggs and Lars Larson and all the rest of the gang and all the rest of the crew. And then Monday morning, Jen and Bill will be back here, followed by Brian Kilmeade, followed by Dan Bongino. So what would be the point of turning your radio station to any other signal? There is no point, so don't do it. I got one segment left. I will be right back. So, you know, it's so funny to me how you can listen to somebody talk about how, oh, it's unprecedented and uh, it's very bad for Donald Trump to be criticizing the judges that are going to be hearing the criminal cases against him. It's unprecedented. It's inexcusable. Uh, I never heard this guy speak up when Supreme Court justices' homes were being picketed and when an armed man went after the home of Justice Kavanaugh or when there were people storming the Supreme Court. Now, apparently, storming the Capitol building, which is the people's house, is a grave problem. But storming the Supreme Court, it's only a grave problem if a conservative group does it. You know, the former president's comments and attacks, according to Michael Luddig, uh, on the Anderson Cooper show, where else would he go with this? Um, they're a grave disservice to the nation. They're inexcusable, and they imperil the former president himself in the defense of his actions on January 6th before the juries that will hear his case. But this is, of course, he says, a pattern that the former president has engaged in since assuming office. Well, we know right then and there he's a real fair critic. A pattern. You know, if you attack me over and over again, you're probably going to see a pattern of self-defense. And that's what President Trump is insisting on. If you're going to charge me 91 times over four separate indictments, as I'm trying to get the Republican presidential nomination for 2024, then don't take away my First Amendment right to defend myself publicly. 
And don't tell me that I can't use social media. It's the most direct way he has of communicating with voters. Over the weekend, he was railing against the judge that's going to oversee the case in D.C. She, you know, this is a judge who is uh, Tanya Chutkin, an Obama appointee. Not that that's the end of the world, but she's highly partisan. Nobody denies that. She's very biased and totally unfair. But hey, he has to be silenced. And of course, when they were asking whether the courts will be able to work out a trial schedule for Trump, Ludwig, who was a judge on the fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, said that the courts will all cooperate with each other and they'll sequence the trials in such a manner as to ensure that the former president is tried in all of these matters before the 2024 election. Think about that. By the way, this guy was a um, an advisor to Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just going to leave that out there and you can think what you want. But I know that uh, tells me everything I need to know. He's become a very big, outspoken critic of both Donald Trump and of the Republican Party, because, of course, the Republican Party has not coalesced around his guy, former Vice President Mike Pence. By the way, what are Mike Pence's numbers in this uh, upcoming primary? Oh, that's right. They're, they're not big enough for me to even see them. You know, all of these guys. This is now a three-person race. Donald Trump. Vivek Ramaswamy, a virtual unknown person, a businessman, and the uh, governor of Florida, our own Ron DeSantis. Like, you can't make this stuff up. The public's not buying your crap, and you guys just keep coming up with more of it. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. So that pretty much does it for me this weekend, live from San Francisco, California, where life is definitely different than it's ever been before. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back in front of the microphone wherever and whenever I can be, whether it's San Francisco or Kentucky or this sunny, most wonderful state of Florida. So you just plan on being there as well. Derek was not on the show today. He had a documentary he was working on, but he will be on next week. So I thank you for your time and may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. See you when I see you. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.